So, the past few weeks, we've been going through the Easter accounts. And you remember, maybe two weeks ago, we celebrated Palm Sunday, had all the tables down the middle, the chairs at the side, and Jesus and the donkey kind of processed, and we all shouted, Hosanna, save us! That was quite good fun, wasn't it? Do you remember that? And then, um, as Dave said last week as well, um, throughout Jesus' ministry, people were continually misunderstanding what he was for. So um, the, the people in Israel at the time where Jesus was, they were under lots of oppression. They were, um, they were basically enslaved by the Roman Empire, and they all wanted freedom, freedom from it. So when Jesus was coming down and we were all saying, Hosanna, save us, they were thinking, go and drive out these Romans. Give us our own freedom. We want our own freedom here. But actually, Jesus' freedom that he was offering people was more than just about a small country 2,000 years ago liberating some people. It was liberation. It was freedom for all of us throughout time that he wanted to offer us. He wanted to offer us spiritual freedom, spiritual freedom. And maybe, as we've heard the past couple of weeks, the crowds that were following him misunderstood. When he was talking about freedom, about salvation, maybe they misunderstood what he was talking about. They thought, that's for us, that's about the Romans, that's about a physical freedom. But Jesus had a group of 12 guys, 12 disciples that were following him everywhere, that he was sharing his deepest thoughts with. Surely they understood what he was talking about, right? But as we saw last week with the Lord's Supper, even they misunderstood. And this week, we're going to focus down. So maybe two weeks ago, it was the crowds. Last week, it was the, the group of the 12. This week, we're going to focus just on one, the main disciple, Simon. Surely, he must have understood Jesus' heart better than anyone else. But unfortunately, as we're going to see in these true stories, in these accounts... He got it even worse, even more badly wrong than any of the others. So, I've called him Simon, but you're probably more familiar with him being called Peter. So, in the Middle East, names are very important. And I should just say, because I usually preach in the Middle East in a different language, um, we usually tell stories there. So I'll give you some Bible references and stuff, but when, when, we're, when we're looking at these, I'd rather that you just listen to the story and thought about that rather than read it in the Bible. You can go and read it and study it and make sure that it's right later. But we're, we're going to think about this more as stories and what, what, what it would have been like to have been there, what we would have acted in these situations. So names are very important. And Simon means hearing or listening, hearing or listening. And Jesus said to Simon, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to give you a new name when you start following me. I'm going to call you The Rock, The Rock, Peter. Can you imagine how that must have felt? I mean, I know there's a bit, there's a wrestler and, you know, now film star and whatever, but can you imagine, like, someone comes up, I'm going to call you The Rock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm his guy. <laughs> so, Jesus says, I'm calling you the rock because I'm going to build my community upon you. 
And maybe you know this phrase from the, uh, from, from the Bible as, I'm going to make, your church, make my church, build my church. But actually, there wasn't a concept of church in those days. It wasn't like, you know, maybe we think of an old Anglican building with a, you know, with a bell in it, or maybe we think like today when we come together on a Sunday and sing some songs. Jesus, sa- Jesus said, I'm going to build my community, a community of people that are following me and my teaching. And he said, I'm going to start with you, Peter, and that's why I'm changing your name because we're starting with the transformation of Simon to Peter and what that means, and from there, we're going to build on that, and the community is going to look like the transition that you've gone through, like the change that you've seen in your life. And Simon Peter, at the beginning, he had two big issues. Firstly, like everyone else, he totally misunderstood what Jesus was teaching and saying. And secondly, like probably a lot of us, he thought of himself as better than everyone else. So that's quite dangerous because he misunderstood, but he also thought, I'm the one who understands the most. He misunderstood, but he thought, I'm Jesus' favorite. He's given me a new name, I mean. So what we're going to do, first, we're going to look at an earlier event in Jesus' ministry, an earlier true story. And so this comes from uh, Mark 8 in the middle, but let's just listen to what the, what the words say, how Mark has written this down. So Jesus asks his group of 12 disciples, he goes to them and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. Now, that doesn't mean what maybe as Christians we think that means. What, that, what the word Christ or Messiah means is king, basically. You are our king. So again, he's showing, well, maybe he did understand, maybe he didn't, but Jesus makes it quite clear afterwards he's got it both 100% right and 100% wrong. Yes, I am your king, but not how you think you kind of want your king to be. So, Jesus says, or it says in Mark, Jesus strictly told them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach that the Son of Man himself must suffer many things, be rejected by the leaders of Israel, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, he would rise again, as we're going to celebrate next Sunday. And it says, he said this plainly. So Jesus is saying very clearly, you've misunderstood. Yes, you've understood, that's great, but you've also misunderstood. And I'm going to die, I'm going to be rejected by the people. I'm not the sort of king that you think I am. I'm different. And then it says, Peter, the rock, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, Peter, like all of the others, it shows here, he didn't understand what Jesus is saying. He's thinking, well, maybe Jesus is having a bit of an off day. Maybe he's doubting himself. Maybe he's feeling a bit depressed. You know, yes, you're the king. Of course you're going to save us. And Peter thinks, with a bit of pride, well, I'm his right-hand man. He's called me the rock. He said he's going to use me to build his community. I'm special. He likes me. He'll listen to me. I need to just take him aside and, you know, make sure that he doesn't doesn't give in to his self-doubt. So he takes Jesus aside. The other ten, no, no. it's just, just the two of us. Hey, Jesus, it's, it's okay. It's okay. We all get doubts from time to time. 
you're the true king. You can destroy all of these Romans. We believe in you. We follow you. You can succeed. We're right behind you, Jesus, he says. And then the story carries on. It says Jesus turns, he sees his disciples, and he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And here, maybe we've, we're quite familiar with this story, but Simon Peter here did something which we in the West don't really notice. So if, you're, you know, if you were born and raised in Kettering or England, we just read through this and we think, oh yeah, you know, um, Peter's got it wrong, Jesus corrects him, you know, okay. But what, what's really interesting is it says, um, it, 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 says, it says here that he took Jesus aside. He left the other 10 disciples, 11 disciples. He took Jesus aside. And this in the Middle East is really prideful and selfish. It's kind of saying, hey, Jesus, it's just, it's just you and me. We don't need these other guys. It's just you and me. In the West, we really value individualism and everyone making their own decision and their own mind. In the, in the Middle East and maybe some other cultures, um, I do a lot of work in South Africa and this is quite true there as well, I think, we value the community. It's not about me making my own decisions and my own choices. It's about being part of a bigger community, a bigger family. And that's really important when we're reading the Bible because so often we can misread some of these stories and misunderstand some things. So, one example of that, there's another time when we see this behavior of, Jesus, uh, of Peter, which is really quite prideful, and, it's, you know, we don't need these other guys, just you and me, Jesus, we can do that, that's, that's fine, just the two of us. And it's when Jesus comes to his disciples, and he's walking on the water. You remember that story? And um, Peter and all the other disciples are in the boat, and Peter says to Jesus, call out to me and I'll come and walk on the water with you. I want, to, I want to try this too. It looks fun. So Jesus calls to him and Peter steps out of the boat and walks on the water. But then what happens? He gets scared and he starts to drown. He says, Jesus, save me. And Jesus has to pick him out and bring him back into the boat. Now, in the West, when we read this story, we think, oh, Peter, he's such a man of faith, and yeah, we might get knocked from time to time, but, you know, Jesus, call me. I want to I step out onto the water, and I want to be full of faith. In the Middle East, when we read this, we say, well, what about the other guys? He's just said I'm better than them. Like, I don't need you. I can go and, I can go and do it with me and Jesus. He's deserted his, his community. And it's an interesting outcome because I was speaking to some people in the Middle East about this, and um, they, were, they were telling me, well, this is how we read the story. It's not a story of triumph. It's a story of Peter's pride and how Jesus puts him back in his place. Because it's interesting, in that story, Peter starts to sink. Jesus picks him up, and he takes him, and he puts him back in the boat with the others. He's saying, you left the community, and you struggled. I'm going to pick you up and put you back in the safe place with the others in the group. Yeah? And this might be familiar to some people from some cultures, but for us in the, in, in the UK, this can be really strange because we've always understood this story in quite a, quite a different way. But if we think of it as the group, it can be quite shocking, can't it? And 
It's the same in this first story that we looked at. Peter's saying, well, come on, Jesus, um, you know, you believe in yourself. It's, but he's taken them aside from the other group, and, Peter, uh, and Jesus rebukes Peter in front of the other disciples. He says, no, you're all part of this community. Yes, Peter, it's going to be built on you, but not yet, because you're not yet ready. It's not about me and Jesus in this gospel, in this book. It's about us and Jesus. It's not about us as individuals. It's about us as the church, as the community of people that want to follow Jesus. So, Jesus and his disciples, let's fast forward a bit. We've done the past two weeks, the Hosanna and the the Last Supper. And at the end of the Passover feast, the Last Supper that Jesus celebrated with his disciples the night before he was executed, the disciples and Peter, they still don't understand what Jesus has been teaching them the past three years. So, this is the story we're going to look at now. It's from Mark 14, if you want to read it later. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd himself, and the sheep, the disciples, will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee, where we first met. And so Jesus is reminding, he knows they still don't understand it. And Jesus is reminding them, it's, it's not going to happen like you think it's going to happen. I'm going to have to die, but God has a much bigger plan in mind. And then Simon says, even though they all fall away, I will not. Even though they all fall away, I will not. Those are for 11 or 10 now. Yeah, you know, we know they're flaky, but Jesus, you know me, I'm the rock. And Jesus said to him, again, in front of all of the others, truly, I tell you, this very night, like within 12 hours, before the rooster crows twice, you, Peter, will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the others all said the same. He just didn't understand. He still hasn't understood about his own pride or his own misunderstanding. And as we know, that very night, Simon Peter crashed even worse than all the other disciples, as we're about to see. So Jesus was arrested, taken to the place of judgment, and Peter followed him from a distance. And he watched as the religious rulers condemned him and spat on him and ordered the guards to beat him and sent him off to be crucified. And then our story continues in Mark 14, verse 66. It says, as Peter was below where they were judging Jesus, Peter was in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself by the fire, she looked at him and said, You were also with that Nazarene Jesus, weren't you? So, what's Simon Peter going to do? He's just said, even if I die with you, I won't deny you. What does he do? Peter denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And we did this a couple of times in the Middle East. If someone asked us a difficult question, we say, oh, sorry, I'm a bit of a foreigner around here. I don't don't quite understand. Can you ask again? 
um, if, we, if we wanted to have a bit of extra time to think about how we could answer the question better. So um, Peter is from a different place, a more uh, rural place. He's maybe got a bit of a different accent um, from Galilee. Everyone understands he's a, he's a bit of a foreigner there. So he could say, oh, sorry, I didn't quite catch that. What was, what was that? You know, he's not totally denying Jesus, but he is, he's understood and he's not, he's not saying it. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again saying to the bystanders, this man, he's one of them. But again, Peter denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. You've got that funny accent like the rest of them. But Peter began to invoke a curse upon himself and swear, I do not know that man of whom you speak. Wow. I swear I don't know him. And this is like his best friend who he's been following for three years. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time, and then Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept, it says. And next week, we'll continue and see how the story all resolves and turns around in the resurrection of Jesus. But for now, I want to think, like, what lessons can we learn from this story? And a really interesting thing is this, this story that we've been reading, it's from Mark's gospel. And Mark was Simon Peter's translator. So after all of this stuff happened, Simon Peter got converted and Jesus welcomed him back. And he traveled throughout the world, by foot in those days, obviously, traveling throughout the world. And in every place he went to, he shared the good news about Jesus and how he was loving and accepting and forgiving even the people that sinned against him worst, like Simon Peter himself. And he said he was not ashamed to relive the story of how he was in the past, his pride and his misunderstanding. And he used that to explain to people what sort of a person Jesus really was. And finally, Simon Peter went to Rome, presumably with Mark, and the capital of the empire that killed Jesus, and he was executed there because he refused to deny Jesus for a fourth time. He'd learned his lesson. And after this, Mark, his translator, wrote down what, Jesus, what Peter was saying in all of these different places, and we read this in Mark's gospel. So, this story about how bad Simon Peter was and how he'd misunderstood everything is actually from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Simon Peter's own story about himself to us to explain the power and amazingness of Jesus. So I think there's two points to understand from this story. The first one is Simon Peter thought he was better and stronger than all the others. Didn't he? he thought, it doesn't matter about, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter about them. They're flaky. They're going to deny you. I will never do that. But actually, he found out it was the opposite. He was worse than all the others that he thought weren't very good in the first place. And I think all of us have an inbuilt tendency. We either think 
we're worse than everyone else, or we think we're better than everyone else. I don't know really any of us think, oh yeah, we're just the same as everyone else. We're just, we're just normal. Everyone thinks, oh yeah, I'm way better. I look at this person doing this thing, I would never do that. And we think, oh, I'm, I'm better. Or we just think, maybe we're just in a kind of continual depression. Oh, I'm just so bad. I'm such a bad Christian. And maybe there's people here today, you know, you came late, you're sitting at the back, you think, oh, I, I just, I did this thing in the week. I don't know how Jesus could ever forgive me. But from this story, we learn, no matter how badly we screw up, we're more loved and accepted and valued by Jesus than we could ever imagine. And as Monica was singing beautifully in the, in the worship about the sparrows and how much more he loves us, if he loves all of the sparrows and the birds, how much more Jesus loves and accepts and looks out for us. So if that's you today, take encouragement. No matter how badly you've messed up in the week or in your life, Jesus will accept you, forgive you, and help you to turn your life around. He wants to do that. He wants to turn us from the, 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 the failing, denying Simon Peters into the Peter who was the rock on which the community of Jesus' followers was built. But I think maybe, if you're more like me, a lot of us have this tendency to think of ourselves as better than the rest, better than everyone else. And, you know, we think, whoa, Peter really messed up here. He's really, you know, he's, he's, he's swearing blind, I don't know this man Jesus. He's really messed up. And we think, well, I, I wouldn't have done that in his place. But then, well, he's been 24 hours without sleeping, and I don't know about you, but I'm not very good when I'm tired and stressed. His world's just been turned upside down. He's scared. This Jesus he thinks he's going to win all the battles has suddenly lost and been condemned. And, and it's, it's kind of understandable, actually, when we get into that place. Actually, we probably all would have failed this test. And how many of us really have lived a perfect life, fully looking after the beautiful world that God's made, looking after each other as God would want. Jesus came to die for us, to save us from all the mess that we've made of the world, of our families and relationships, and of our own lives. Jesus wants to offer us that forgiveness. We just need to cry out to him, say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want your forgiveness. I want to live a better life with you. And that offer is open to all of us today. And the second lesson we can take away from these accounts, Simon Peter thought it was much easier with just him and Jesus. You know, he left the boat to go follow Jesus. He, um, uh, he, he, he was always just kind of like, when the going got tough, it was just him and Jesus. He didn't need the, the rest of the community. But Jesus' call to Simon was to be Peter the rock. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my community on you. He didn't say, it's just going to be you and me, Peter. He said, I'm going to build my community on you. It's not just me and Jesus, it's us and Jesus. And honestly, if we've, had, if we've been a Christian for a while, we can understand it's quite difficult sometimes in church. There's people you don't get on with. There's maybe disagreements. There's maybe problems that we have sometimes. And honestly, it's quite tempting when it's like that to just escape and think, oh, it's just me and Jesus. Jesus will accept me no matter what. He's not difficult to get on with. These people in church, oh, I, I find them very difficult, but me and Jesus, we're a, we're a great team. 
But that's usually because we're blind to our own faults, and being with other people makes us have to confront those and realize, actually, we're maybe not quite so good and caring and self-sacrificial as we thought. And I don't know about you, but I know when, um, when we first got married, I was, I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty self-sacrificial, you know, I'll, I, can, I can love my wife as Jesus loves the church, easy, no problem. Whoa. <laughs> it's difficult, it's difficult. And if, if, you know, Jesus continually shows us how self-centered we really are, and that's quite uncomfortable. And it's quite easy and natural to want to escape from that, isn't it? I found a great quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, those who don't think about their own sins make up for it by continually thinking about the sins of others. Isn't it? Like, if we're not realizing how broken and sinful we are, we'll be looking around and thinking, whoa, I'm better than him and better than her. And oh, I'm... So we need to find a balance. We're not worse than everyone else, but we're also not better than everyone else. Let's not be blind to our own sins. How do you make a Christian really angry? You force them to be in a room with someone who sins differently from how they do. You think, like, I'm good, this person's bad, and then you, you start feeling the agitation of, actually, maybe I'm not quite so good. So we need to be, rather than running away like Peter does, he's denying Jesus, he's kind of running away, and when Peter finds him after he's resurrected, Peter's properly run away and he's fishing again, gone back to his old career. But... What Jesus does is lovingly confronting people and trying to work through these situations. And the Holy Spirit was not given to continually give us mountaintop experiences of, you know, me and Jesus and rapturous amazingness. The Holy Spirit was given to help form this community. Jesus knew there's going to be issues in the community. And we need the Holy Spirit, his love, his patience, his wisdom, his guidance, to help us build this community here in Kettering and throughout the world, to help us become true followers of Jesus. And just to finish, many years after these events, just before Peter was in Rome and was executed, he wrote this letter which was sent to many of the churches in the world. It's 1 Peter, and I'm going to read a little bit from 1 Peter verse 5 to close. Peter says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Lower yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may lift you up. Cast all your anxieties upon him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And Peter here has clearly learned his lesson. He's, not, he's, he's writing this letter to communities of believers, many of whom he probably started. He knows firsthand what this roaring lion is. It was when he was separate from the others, when he was on his own in that courtyard by the fire, and how he was tempted and he fell. So what does he say? He says, stay in community with one another. Be sober-minded. Be looking out for yourselves be looking out for each other. Be humble. Don't be prideful like I was. Be humble, he says. So Peter has transformed from this very arrogant guy who's misunderstood Jesus to this fatherly figure who's looking out, who's building these communities around the world and teaching people to follow Jesus. 
So I want to just pray for us now that we would be like that. Okay? Jesus, thank you so much for giving us these true stories today to learn more about what you are like. Thank you for the transformation that we've seen in Peter, how he went from being selfish and self-centered, misunderstanding you, to understanding the value and importance of the community that you are building. Jesus, we want to be your community here in Kettering. We want to be loving, forgiving one another, full of your Holy Spirit. Please send your Holy Spirit now to help us to be more like you want us to be, to be following you in our lives, to be, to be running to you whenever we're tempted to sin, to be confessing our sins to you and one another, to be looking out for those on the edges that, that are maybe starting to fall away and to bring them back in and help them. Jesus, please be with us today. Give us your strength through your Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.